So, welcome, Giovanna Jenkins. How are you today? I'm well. It's great to be back. Yeah. Good to see you again. Yeah, you're making a comeback. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for the invitation to yeah, continue you, our conversation. <laughs> yeah, you were here. You were here a few episodes ago. Um, it was an episode called uh, "Church Blues and Pepper Spray." Yes, exactly. And uh, we were talking about where there we mainly talked about your the fact that you're a blues soul singer. And uh, your journey from from Philadelphia to Prague with uh, a few stopovers in Korea, in Siberia, and, and different places around the world. Exactly. And uh, but you are more than just a singer. <laughs> yeah, my singing is actually inspired by my number one passion in life, and that's actually being a lifelong learner. Mm. I am a student of life, and so when I'm not. During the night, in the evening, I typically sing. I might sing, let's say, Thursday through Saturday. But Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, during the work week, during the daytime, I'm actually a university instructor. I also do uh, coaching for our MBA program at the University of New York in Prague. And then I also do corporate training and corporate coaching. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole portfolio of the services that my company offers. And they go really nicely together because I say that I communicate with or without music. So we talked about the communication with music and then there's the other side of helping people to communicate themselves mm. giving them the tools to understand who they are what their gift is and what their contribution to the world is when they come out of high school into university trying to get their heads around the fact that they're responsible for themselves and they have to make a decision about what their gifts and their talents are and how to present that to the world and offer something of value and service so they can get some value for themselves, their families, and the organizations that they're a part of. And then when they graduate from university, when they're in the workplace, giving them the skills that are not taught in university. They didn't even realize that they needed them. Maybe they come from a background that wasn't integrated and having team projects and things like that. So they have to learn how to communicate together. Or they had it, but they didn't understand the connection. Mm. So when I'm in the classroom or in the boardroom, I'm making the connection as an entrepreneur who has to take responsibility for herself, living halfway around the world. This is how I get the job done. This is what I wish somebody had told me. And because I have a master's in professional business communication and 27 years of education in terms of being an adjunct instructor in Seoul, South Korea, here in Prague, Czech Republic, doing corporate training across Europe, here are the perspectives I can give. Mm. And what, what, why, what is what is exciting about this? I mean, is this a calling or, or? So absolutely, I do feel that it's a calling. I love seeing the light go on in people's eyes and helping them to make the connection. For me as a professional, my motto is connecting people, ideas, and results. I love ideas. I love concepts. I love models. I love theories. But if they don't make a real world impact, it's absolutely for nothing. So I really, honestly, truly believe knowledge is power only if you use it, if you understand how to use it. So I help people use the knowledge that can make results in their lives. Mm. And that's that's just what I do. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what gives purpose and meaning to my life. But why do you think that is? I mean, is it like, uh, you know, because it's... Uh did something happen to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is there an event or a... Yeah. For me personally, 
education for me is the most magical thing in the world. For me, I feel like I'm on a road and there's this huge, tremendous boulder and I'm pushing it and I can't get over it. I can't get under it. I can't get around it. And then I learn something new and the boulder that was blocking my path completely disappears. Mm -hmm. The boulder was in my mind. And I'm able to go forward. Ryan Holiday has a book, The Obstacle is the Way, based on stoicism. And that's exactly it. Because I struggle and I wrestle with that concept, I'm strengthened and I'm made wiser by it so that I can get over it. And so I'm grateful for that. And so creating those opportunities for students to learn from the conditions that they're in or being in the workplace and going, what you're struggling with? That's because you don't understand this concept. Let me give you this concept. And what someone in the workplace goes, I had a problem with this yesterday. I can apply it tomorrow. Students, on the other hand, have more challenges where they may not have a real life context to put mm -hmm. it in. Mm -hmm. So working with both of those segments. Mm -hmm. But uh, they say that uh, that people who are, you know, that you can... You can educate, but you're not necessarily clever. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. uh, exactly. Or, yeah, because what you're saying is that one thing is knowledge oh. and another thing is to know how to apply it. Yes, yes. That's one of the favorite things that I cover with my students. It's mm. actually, it's in my semester, I have 15 weeks. And so right now, this past week was week six. I literally get to that concept that there are different levels of knowledge and learning. And many educational systems are all about rote memorization. Mm, two times mm, two mm, is four. Mm. And people think if I just know exactly what the teacher said and exactly what was written in the book, then I know it. Mm. But that's only the basis. At the top is being able to create, being able to take all of that knowledge because you and understand it, it somehow. and you can apply it. Mm. And based on your application, you can go, oh, that's what I did. I can do better next time. I want to do X amount better, so I'm going to craft something new based on all the information I had, plus my own experience, to create something that never existed before in life. And that's that innovation you're talking about. So for me, that idea is that when you know, Maya Angelou said this, when you know better, you do better. And so my position as a teacher, when I'm working with my students, when I work with anybody, uh, coaching, training is, you might know about something, You might know of something, but until you can use that knowledge and make your life better, you don't know it. Mm. And it's not w valuable until you master it. Mm. Yeah. And so that's where the love of learning comes in, because the ability to explain it in a way that somebody gets it and the light goes on, I have to know it even more deeply. Mm. And my explaining it to you gives me a deeper understanding than I ever had before I had to explain it to you. Yeah, yeah. Because, which makes it more profound. Yeah, because you need to, I don't know, for the lack of a better word, you kind of need to dumb it down for yourself to be able to teach it to somebody else. Yeah. And that the more times you do that, the, the better it is understandable by yourself, right? Absolutely. The ability to articulate and... You know, so many greats have said this. Warren Buffett said this mm. in terms of teaching his staff. I write my financial information so that my two sisters, Dottie and Betty. Can understand them. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And so it's not about making it so convoluted that no one understands, but the genius is explaining it so that the simplest mind can understand the most complex ideas. But I think like with that, I mean, I, I, I think in, in general, I, I'm now I'm just 
thinking when I'm listening to you that when I went to 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 law school, for example, there was a there was a lot of this memorizing things, mm-hmm. and and I felt like it was a five years education, and I felt like the first almost three years I I was like I'm like a parrot here, you right. know, I'm just repeating what is on the in the books, and I don't really know how to apply it. Mm-hmm. Now, part of the reason could be that like. Or which I think was part of the reason was the teachers, you know, they were not really connecting this into real life situations or explaining it in in, in a sense. And there was a lot of new lingo that you learn and and stuff like that. And then gradually when we started getting um, guest lecturers from from industries and businesses, then it it became more of a, I don't know, actual somehow. And, And then... Yeah, then the light went on, and you 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 get this kind of uh, we call it in Iceland like a juridical thinking mm-hmm. in a way that that you start applying a certain thought process on problems and issues and 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 so on, which is great, but also it it's very in terms of law, it's it's extremely um, what do you say in it's not passionate, uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's very cold and rational, uh, extremely rational, right. So I think often, like, for me, I feel like, because I apply this to more or less everything, and and, uh, and, and in law school you, you're always second-guessing, you're questioning, you're thinking, is there some evidence of something else? Is there, am I considering the whole picture here? So it, it's, it's a really interesting thing that, yeah, we, I spent a long time in school just reading pages just to memorize them, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Because that's not uh, that's not knowledge. That's just uh, short-term memory that I can then put on a paper the day after, and then it's gone. It went, right. I went away with the first beer after the exam. You know. Yes. Um, but yeah, we we I wanted to talk to you today about education and and how how it is, how it's changing, and 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 uh, how it's perceived in a different way by people, teachers, students, uh, companies, and 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 all the all the affecting factors, but. And you're you're now, as you said, you you're you're working with the University of New York in Prague. Yes. So among others, yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's a lot of international students, right? We have eighty different nationalities. Wow. Yeah. So it's a real joy being able to facilitate the conversation that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. In asking my students the concept and then asking them to relate it to their own lives, their nations, the history of their nations, their experience, hearing how some academic traditions are very similar, how academic traditions are very different, and getting them to learn from each other. Mm. And for me, actually, I've been teaching now, it's 27 years, 20, oh, 28 years now. Um, yeah, you started when you were 10, right? It, how did you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Child prodigy, exactly. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that at this point, teaching the same topic again and again and again, my greatest joy is when my when I can phrase the conversation that I can learn something from my students. Mm-hmm that they can give me a perspective I never saw. Mm-hmm. And then I can take that and then hand it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting for mm-hmm. me. Now, you can't really record a podcast now without talking about the war in Ukraine. And yes. and I, I, I'm curious how that is affecting the students. And, and oh, because yes. we've seen here in the Czech Republic and in Prague, a lot of activism. Right. Uh, there's a lot of, it's, it's an interesting thing. I know it sounds arrogant or brute or something, but... Czechs went from hating Ukrainians to loving them in just two days. 
like they they dropped all their xenophobia towards U- Ukrainians, which I think is great because I mean they're they're doing it for these are innocent people that are suffering. But there is also on the other end there are Russian students, mm-hmm. and how is this conversation going on in school? And I mean, right? I can share with you the perspectives before. During and currently, Mm. well, it has to be during because unfortunately it's not after yet. Mm. Prior to the hostilities and the tension and the invasion that led to war, it was very much from my conversation of being here in Prague now 24 years of there's are the Ukrainian workers. If you go through any construction site, you'll recognize that people are speaking Ukrainian. If somebody has a cleaning lady that she uh, wants to recommend or he wants to recommend, typically um, someone Ukrainian. So those are manual labor positions that mm. were typically associated. I actually have Ukrainian students, Russian students, as I said, it's 80 different nationalities. And so I actually teach for the Erasmus program as well. And after 24 years here in Prague, I was actually asked to teach the Czech culture and history component for the orientation for the Erasmus students so that as foreigners, they could hear from another foreigner Mm -hmm. the significance of what happened in Czech history. Maybe something that would be uncomfortable or uneasy for a Czech to talk about or just be a normal part of life that a Czech wouldn't go into the depths because they don't see it with the eyes of a foreigner. Uh But as someone from the outside, I can say, here is what happened historically and how it impacts people So be empathic, Mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. uh, compassionate, Mm -hmm. because we've talked about dictatorship in Portugal. We've talked about uh, oppression in Bosnia-Herzegovina. So with the understanding of what happened in your countries during your parents' lifetime, think about how much your parents and grandparents have influenced you, and think about how much 1938 would influence Czechs, 1968 would Mm -hmm, influence mm -hmm, Czechs. mm -hmm. And I say to my students, imagine going to bed August 20th, Uh, 1968 and waking up August 21st Mm. to tanks in your streets. And I said that in August, last week in August, and then the last week in January. And then February 24th, I'm about to do corporate training. And my colleague says, Joanna, it might influence the webinar we're having. Russia just invaded Ukraine. And so that was Thursday. And then Friday it was Oh, that's over there. But I had just taught the history Mm -hmm. in the chat going crazy for my colleagues who are here in the Czech Republic and saying we have colleagues in Ukraine and that bringing it home. It's no longer the workmen that I pass in the street or the cleaning lady that my friend has. Wait a minute. When I was doing Zoom lessons, there was a young lady in a beautiful home whose father went from being a manual laborer during communism to running his own company where his where the mother works and he's providing a life for his children they sit down at the table and they talk about their goals and their dreams she was in kiev when i was teaching her online because of covid mm-hmm. where is she now mm. and just my heart absolutely leaping out going where is my student the one who gave meaning and joy and purpose and who taught me things and had aha moments because of what she learned in the process and then it being real for me. But 
That was one student fall 2021. And then last semester, it was fall, uh, excuse me, fall 2020, fall 2021. Two best friends, one from Ukraine, one from Russia. Hardest working girls, hardest working students. So proud of them from the very beginning. I saw them on Wednesday before the invasion. And then when I saw them the next week, the Russian had disappeared. And her Ukrainian friend was saying, I'm worried about her. She hasn't been in school. I am afraid to reach out to her. I'm not sure how she'll take it. Would you please write her? And then they were both at my concert on Saturday. And the Ukrainian girl said, look who I found. And so I've heard stories of, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the story of the teacher, the person in a school who said to the Russian student, you know, I'm not teaching you, get out. And when I was promoting ways for students to support the Ukrainian students, the dean of psychology at the University of New York in Prague said, I want, would you please also be mindful that our Russian students are uh, also feeling psychological impact? And I said, don't worry about it. As an African-American female expat, I made very clear to my students when I last saw them that there is a difference between the people and their political representatives. Mm. But not everybody has the intelligence to separate this or the, you know, and, and, and unfortunately we're seeing like uh, in some places, I mean, there have been doctors saying I'm not serving Russian patients and there are hotels that are saying no Russians allowed in here. There's nothing like this going on in school. I mean, if like this, this, this girl that you said that kind of disappeared, mm-hmm. she does that probably because she's shocked, you know, and, and it's not because she's pushed out. Absolutely not. As mm. a matter of fact, like I said, her Ukrainian friend was going, well, she had some issues with school and failing some tests. And the Ukrainian girl, I failed some exams, too. Mm-hmm. It's just students being sensitive with school and then life on top of it. But we know that people have always discriminated. Mm-hmm. And they will always continue to discriminate. Mm-hmm. And they will look for any reason to do so if they already have that inclination. I'm just worried about how quickly this happens. You know, like in, in, in general, I think like, um, you know, like people just go in a matter of days towards, I mean, I saw there was a Russian pianist in Germany that was taken off the off a play. Even if he had, you know, protested against the invasion publicly, you know, we're removing products. You know, the, I saw somewhere Russian mustard. I didn't even know that they have mustard, but that's been removed from the shelves. And and I feel like, um, if I if if I was a if I was a Russian individual living somewhere abroad and I was treated like this, I would be actually I think more likely to think, oh, maybe Putin isn't so bad after all. You know, at least he is not kind of excluding me or pushing me out to the fringes you know and i'm i'm i don't know i i'm i'm worried that that in in such a short time that this unfortunate war has taken it could be a half a year or whatever we we don't know where where will we be in a month you know how will we be treating russian people then and i'm i'm, I'm concerned about it right because you're right. I mean, we are very quick into some tribalism. and, and Tribalism is exactly mm. the word that comes to my mind. I don't even see it as racism or nationalism. Mm. I just see it as us and them. And mm. that's the word for me, tribalism. Mm. And really to gather around, protect my own, and I don't know you, I don't trust you. 
the thing about it is, is that everyone with whom I have contact is exactly of the same mindset as you, as you, which is those are innocent people who are represented by someone with whom we don't agree. Mm. And that conversation of this is just wrong. But I can also say that I am in another chat, girlfriends talking, ha ha, he he, sharing all sorts of comedic things about life. And one woman lived here in Prague. She was in Russia during the invasion and she was repeating Russian propaganda. Mm. And she's now back in Prague. But the influence of the Russian media on her mentality and thinking and the fact that it was limited in terms of the differences that was available of the perspectives, it was... She spoke I want East to say, when you spoke West. Well, th that's the thing. As an American, I recognize mm. wholeheart. I recognize when people wholeheartedly believe what the leader says mm. because they are part of the dogma without mm. thinking for themselves. My leader said it. I agree with it. It must be right. I don't need to know more than that. Mm. So as an American, I really get it mm. because we have watched as people just agree against all rational thought. Mm. Yeah, I hope I, I I hope that the you know as everybody I guess that this will have some sort of an ending. I don't know what what it could be or if there is a good way out of this, but it's definitely I think it's gonna affect people for a really long time. You know because it's not like a even if they would just stop and say okay we we give up that even that would yield suffering for Russian people for years and and sanctions and stuff like that. So it's a very yeah it's a very sad thing. Um, But yeah, back to maybe the, to the education. What, what, what in general? I mean, if we if we talk education, um, we maybe more focusing on 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 let's say universities and colleges and, and and kind of further education. But like right now, I mean, what has changed in education is that it it kind of went from being a privilege to become more of a commodity. I mean, obviously there is a privilege some places where schools are more expensive and so on. But I think. I think pretty much anyone who wants to get an education can get it. I mean, uh, you might have to go to <clears throat> not necessarily the best school, but there are, I would say, programs available to everyone. And and I, when I, when I was preparing for this, then I, I was thinking how how big of a change this is because I I I went in '94. That's when I enrolled into University of Iceland, and and um, it sounds so far away. <laughs> And then, then it wasn't like it was. It was not everybody went to university. You know, it was yeah. still like a kind of a and like from my family. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of university degrees in my family tree or anything. And and it's not because we are all very uh, stupid or or something. It just wasn't necessarily the the road. You know, so but and we see also other positive effects like we see much more women in schools that like 50 years ago wasn't the thing and it wasn't it's not just people from the right family and 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 right color and whatever you know it's it's becoming more available right right and so we're actually quite similar in this regard i am also uh, i'm not sure if i caught this in your family tree but i'm first generation college graduate mm -hmm. along with my sisters mm -hmm. And so my parents, my father went to a vocational tech school. He went into he did his high school 
concentration in electrical as an electrician, basically. And he got a job on the railroad immediately after graduating high school. And he worked his way up from the absolutely lowest of the low linemen positions. And then whenever there was a promotion available, he didn't necessarily want to take it, but he wasn't going to be managed by someone who was less capable than himself. So he took so he took the position to eventually becoming a consultant for uh, railways that wanted to expand into where there were no railways. Mm-hmm. So someone mm-hmm. who had practical working experience, who could explain how it would work in the field when there was a college person who did not have that knowledge. Mm. They had the degree for the engineering, t- but they didn't yeah, have yeah, the real world. The real world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's who raised me. Mm -hmm. And my mother was first a dental hygienist, and then she went into working ophthalmology, being basically the assistant to the eye doctor. So no uh, college degrees on that side. And they worked very hard so that we could get a college uh, degree so that we could have new opportunities open to us. And that's where I think you're talking about that shift. I went into university uh, four years before you did, but I went to a state school in the United States at Pennsylvania State University. And the difference in the economics is mind-blowing. I also teach at uh, American University where students can come on a semester abroad. And I was asking them how much they pay for their degree right now. And they're paying seventy thousand mm-hmm. U.S. dollars per year. Mm-hmm. So you have the situation where a quality of life requires a degree, and so everybody is recommended to go into a degree. And we were already saying you may not know at a certain age what you really want to do. So you get the degree because you believe it's going to open doors, and then you get the degree at the best university you can get into. But maybe the career path you take doesn't provide the financials to pay for that degree. And you have a lot of indentured servants, basically, people who go to work to be able to pay off that that degree. Because in the United States, you can go bankrupt and all of your debt gets wiped out except for student loans. Oh, that follows you forever. Bingo. Uh-huh. Yes. So here you have in the Czech Republic the possibility to go to a state school, which is free, yeah. and that having that tradition, and that being a well-established tradition of a high-quality, free education, and then for those who couldn't get in because there aren't enough spaces available, equally intelligent, but maybe didn't do so well on the state exam that day, why should I wait and have fewer opportunities? I'm going to go to a private school. Mm. It's going to be more expensive, but at least I'll have a piece of paper. And so what kind of private school is it? Is it pay me for the paper or pay me for the opportunity to be exposed to knowledge and learning? Mm-hmm. And you have to earn this degree. But this pay me for the paper, it's a good word, actually. Is that like a, is that what people say in the education world? Pay me for the paper schools. And we, we call them paper mills. Uh-huh. Where the assumption is, oh, well, 
public school is free, so I guess I'm paying to get the degree here, so I paid so I don't have to show up or pass an exam or prove that I didn't really know anything because if it's free over here, I must be paying for the degree and making it really clear. No, no, no. Mm -mm. You are paying for access to the information and the instructors who can give you knowledge and guidance, but mm -hmm. you still need to show up, pass the exams, do the papers, and prove that you actually know something. Mm -hmm. Some places you just show up and you get the degree and other places make you work for them. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the thing, because, I mean, with all this increased access and, and, and uh, let's say, like an increased social expectation of an education, right. um, um, that that has increased the number of schools. And, and, and for example, when I graduated from law school, then um, there was one school graduating lawyers. Five, six years later, there were seven schools. And that's in tiny Iceland. Right. So... The risk then is that we will have those paper mills, which um, is paper, paper, yeah, yeah, paper, paper mill. mills, mm -hmm. that, that because school is business as well. There is someone who owns the school. There is someone who wants needs to pay the salary. There is someone. It's the, the money doesn't grow on trees. So you can't run a school, I guess, that is paid and no one ever graduates because then no one will sign up and pay those fees. So there is always this balance between being rigid on on, let's say, exams or, or qualifications of the students to make them graduate versus the pressure of saying, guys, we, we have to have a, I don't know, a 80% graduation rate or 70% or something, otherwise our business case doesn't work and people won't come to this school. Well, it's also about the business model. Let's think of Harvard, Yale, Oxford. It's actually in their best interest to be rigorous or they lose the clout that comes with the name. So where is your modeling in terms of your business and where you position yourself on the market? For what do you want to be known? If you want to be known as top tier platinum, then your position is very different. So, for example, there are places where, for example, there is a big conversation about grade inflation. No, it's not possible that everybody gets all A's. You need to seriously think about what we're doing here because this is not it. And then there are other places where the grading technique is very hard for someone not to get an A. There are places where, once again, the term grade inflation is something that's fought against. And then there are other places where, for example, uh, based on evaluations, there are certain incentives. And so the incentives having an impact economically in terms of the decisions that are made. And then there are places that have been a part of scandal because it was really found out that this top-ranking person got this degree here. And how is that even possible? It doesn't make sense. How, Based on the facts, that just doesn't compute. Mm. So the range exists. But does this change? Do you, I mean, like, do you, do you think, were, were there paper mills in 30 years ago, or, or is this a new, newer thing, you know? No, I think they've always existed. I've, I think that wherever people could convince someone else to be more lenient or, for example, like I said, I teach 80 different nationalities. And there have been stories of the person who knows of a, an instructor in their country from whom they came. You know, Just give them a nice white envelope and you can pass the course. And I wish that I had been in that school. <laughs> and I say to the students, I said, you 
do realize that you're getting a raw deal because you just pay money. They don't have to do the work and you walk out just as stupid as you were the day you walked in. <laughs> so, you know, the only person who's getting scammed is you. You yeah. understand that, right? But you know, so you just pay money to play on Instagram for a little bit longer or play a video game for a little bit. That's that's what you just did. And you so that's. The immaturity. Yeah, but if you tell that to an 18-year-old. Exactly, because they don't understand the power of knowledge. Mm -hmm. They don't have enough life experience to understand the tool, but are the we, weapon are we... they are wielding in their hands if they're able to think critically. But because they're not, then they think that they're getting away with something. But I, I guess I guess that is also a question of both motivation and maturity in a way because, like as you were explaining, you had parents that gave you both, um, uh, let's say, uh, idols and, and role models from work for working hard. So yeah, so you yeah. saw the value of that. Yes. And they I guess they gave you discipline. I know they sent you to oh, Catholic yeah. Catholic school. They made you wear Christian school. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Pa pepper spray on the streets and, and uh, so they kept were, me safe. That's right. Yeah. My mother was looking out for me when and, she couldn't uh, be there. And uh, and 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 then and and I guess also in that kind of environment where you kind of have to live up to something, you need mm. to be independent a little bit and work hard. It gives you a chance to mature. And now if we think about it, like uh, I know it's different in Iceland than most other countries, but we, we go to university at 20. A lot of countries you can go to college or university at, at 18, mm -hmm. which is for me, it's, it's really, really young. You know, like yeah. when I was 18, I just wanted moonshine and pizza, you know, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything constructive. You know, I just wanted to be a kid. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was still a kid. Yeah. And, and I, and I, then I'm thinking now, okay, so we're taking all these people, we're, we're telling all of them through social media, through them seeing rich people and all these role models that we have now, and we're telling them, listen, if you want to get anything anywhere, you need to go to school. But they might not be ready for it, you know. I teach a course, first year, first semester students, and I hands down in week two say, instead of plagiarizing and committing academic dishonesty, please remember Bill Gates, Martin Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs did not graduate from university. So you don't need to waste anybody's time, money and energy playing the game that you're learning when you can you do not have to graduate from university to be successful. I put that on the table. It should only be for people who want to be there and understand the value of having contact with people who have real life experience, who can guide you and provide some knowledge. It should not be because you don't want to go to work. You don't want to go to the army. You don't know what to do with your life. And you've always gone to school. So I guess I'm going to just keep on going to school. There are plenty of immature people like that, and mommy and daddy want to feel good about themselves, so they want their child to get an education. And I have a colleague who dropped out of school, and he now has a PhD. And as an instructor, I much rather want somebody like the Russian student who was coming in first year, first semester at 27, mm -hmm. because she knew why she's there, mm -hmm. and she knows what she wants to get from being there. But there's a stigma around that, though, to go 
Maybe not as much in today as it was. I remember when I was in law school, the of, of mom of one of my my co students, she she signed up and she was one year behind us. You know, she started a year later than her son. Right. And and I remember we found this very very weird until I found out that she smoked. Then I could always steal cigarettes from her. So I was very happy that she was there. But but it's. It's. I think that that path, you know, like okay, you're supposed to graduate at 18 from high school or or or, or whatever, and then you're supposed to go at this age to this. And maybe I I don't know. Maybe it creates this feeling with people that I'm missing the bus if I if I don't follow the timeline somehow. Whereas for some people it takes longer, as you mentioned, this 27 year old. She just needed time to figure things out or did absolutely. something else, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then people actually appreciate what they have. Mm. And they have some life skills to deal with challenges and failure. One of the things I teach is how to learn from failure. Because just because you graduated from high school doesn't mean you're going to do well at university. And just because you do well at university doesn't mean you'll have a top job in whatever field that you choose. And so this is one of the challenges that we have with this expectation, go to university to have a good life, because it's not so that you can get a corporate manager position and you can have a very good life doing something that might be more physical might be more technical or creative or exactly arts. and i my heart goes out to more active kinesthetic manual hands-on students and the current university setting is not necessarily there for them mm. it's more of a sit still read books listen to lectures and i'm always challenged how can i involve these people how can i engage them physically because it's not just about listening and uh reading but there are really people who need to get down in the dirt yeah, do get something their hands physical. Dirty, exactly yeah, yeah. and they're there are places for those people to be successful. We talk about the plumbers that you can't get. Think about lockdown. You couldn't get your hands on somebody to do renovations at your place because everybody was booked out because there are so few people. Where there is increased, where there is decreased supply and there is increased demand, there's money to be made. But when you have parents who are looking at the prestige of having somebody in a corporation, as compared to the manual labor and the hardship of running one's own company and the physical labor and how exhausting that is. You know, here, take the, you know, I have a student who uh, finished my career development course. We just had dinner together last month. He was saying, look, I graduated university. I didn't know what to do with my life. I had some issues going on. I was working in a warehouse and I was doing that for two years. Now I'm working in uh, one of the top four consulting agencies. When I got my head around that my life is my responsibility and it's nobody's fault but myself that I'm here, I started applying myself and working towards my potential. But until he had that experience, he said, I sit at this desk and I get paid so much money. It's not even hard work. I know what hard work is. I did hard work. You know, and it's just that idea. Parents saying this is the path. It's much easier because the parents have done the manual labor. The mm. parents have worked hard with their fingers to the bone. So they want an easier life for the children. But the children don't have the life experience to value it. Mm. But are the parents influencing this a lot? I mean, like, I, I, 
I, I was lucky. There was not really a big pressure in my family. The only thing, just don't be a loser. Either have a job or go to school. And if you don't, then you have to move away from home. Mm-hmm. If you work, you pay rent. If you're in school, you don't pay rent. It was very basic rules. That's right. Full-time job is work. student. And, they, right. and I think my parents wouldn't have cared if I became a plumber or a lawyer or a doctor or, or, or a historian or whatever. I mean, they, they supported me, but they, 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 they were not living an ambition through me. Right. But how how is that today? Like, uh, do do you have students, or do you come across students that where you feel that they're they're on not on their own premise in a way? It's very interesting because whenever I'm talking to you, I'm coming from having grown up in multicultural America, having taught in Seoul, South Korea, encountering the eighty different nationalities at University of New York in Prague, which is where I'm primarily based among other schools. But there are just cultural differences. Uh, Indian, Nigerian, Asian, just the belief about what the next generation should do. There's a great Nigerian comedian who says a story. Look, if you're Nigerian, you're either doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's it. Those are the only choices. So as a comedian, she makes fun of the fact that she's so outside the norm. South Korea, literally, I started my teaching career at the high school level in Seoul, South Korea, and I was, as an American, just shocked that after school, there was a study room, there were monitors to watch the students, where he would press the button, table 452, I see you sleeping, wake up. No. And then after, they would go from the study hall, then they would have their own private tutors at home, and then they would do their homework, and they would go to sleep, and they'd get up and repeat it again. Because the idea was, that their education opened the door for the entire family. Mm. It wasn't just them. Mm. They were bringing their whole family and lineage forward. Mm. And so everybody was pushing for that person to move forward. So exactly what you were talking about at 18, wanting to just you know have moonshine and pizza, what I experienced was the reason to get up in the morning was to pass the entrance exam at the top university so that you could make the connections that would lead to the job, that would lead to the position that would take your family to the next level. Mm-hmm. So there are so many cultures with whom I've come into contact where, yes. The motives are extremely di- diverse. Based on the culture that says the imp- your role in the family. Mm-hmm. And breaking free of that. Some cultures don't have that expectation. Some, it's not even a question. Mm-hmm. But I I, <clears throat> I, um, I saw that that uh, the president of, of, of the U.S., Joe Biden, he was, um, he was announcing now, it's, I think it's p- part of, of, of some package, that they're going to write off $6.3 billion student loans, uh, which made me think, like, okay, so if... If you need to write this debt off, then there is something wrong in the equation. Like either the the loans are too high or, or the interest rate is too high or salaries are too low to pay them back. Or maybe there are too many people actually taking those loans and getting an education. That could be a result of, of this commercialization of, of education on a grand scale. And, and I think... Like it, it, it rang some alarm bells, and I like, I, you know, I like the, I have nothing against the initiative, you know. I mean, of course, I don't like usually like when taxpayer money is used to do something, but I think a society that wants to be taken seriously should invest in education, whatever education that is, you know. But there is something 
that kind of rang the alarm bells in, uh, alarm bells in my head. And then I was thinking also about all the people who who took those loans, couldn't pay them back. They probably had some broken dreams because until now, I mean, they're probably very happy now that they're going to get those loans out of their books. But, you know, they took an education with a promise from the society that now you're going to get a job, you're going to be set for life and everything's going to be great. And that's how it was in the old days. You would get a corporate job and you would stay until you pensioned and then you got a watch and you played golf and then you died, you know. And those people have, you know, come into the system on, the, on with the idea that, that they would get something and and then they can't even pay the loans. And they, th- that probably means that they got a position that wasn't what they wanted. So it can easily turn from being a dream into a nightmare, right? Or uh, a broken dream, at least. From the American perspective, the background is a combination of the factors that you said. So, as I said, first-generation college graduate. You know that your family has high hopes for you and expectation. So the push is go to college, get a degree, have a good career. We may not be able to pay for it, so we're going to take loans and you're going to take loans to make this happen. But this is an investment in you and the future in our family. And then with that, like you said, 18, who knows what life holds or what they want to do? We weren't taught about money. We weren't taught about finance or investment. So let's just go into it because my parents tell me it's a good thing, but they are in credit card debt. They don't understand finances any more than I do. They just know that if you get a college degree, doors open to you. And it's true. They want Many people want to apply for jobs that say you need a four-year degree. So I'm going to get the four-year degree. It doesn't specify which degree, but I'm going to get a degree. So I'm going to get something that I like. And I don't know what the future job market is for that, but I get it. Or I get it based on just what the future job market is. I don't really like it, but I'm going to make money. And so I go in blindly with pure faith. And then I find out that I've gotten this degree and I hate the work. Like my girlfriend who her father told her to be a lawyer and she hates law, but she's got a law degree and she's got a law office because she did the right thing based on what her father said. And now she's stuck in that life. It's a good life, but it's not the one she chose for herself because at 18, how do you know what you want to do? But you have the student debt from undergraduate school and law school. And so that has to be paid. So what's going to pay better than law? So you stay into it. You stay in it because you've already dug Invested your way in. all the time. Exactly. And, yeah. and you have all the debt. Mm. So it's a combination of those things mm. that you just said. And so if you get out and then you have your rent and your food and your car because you can't get anywhere without the car and then you have the student debt, where is there any space to invest in the future, to save for your retirement, to put together a mortgage. And then we've shifted from having job security to a gig economy. Mm -hmm. So there's no security anymore. Bingo. And that that also is, is, I think, what I hear, like, from people younger than me, that when when I communicate with them and I ask them, so what would you like to do, then... 
I get a list of few things. You know, I would like to teach yoga on Tuesdays, and then I would like to work in a bar on Wednesdays, and then I'm going to do tattoo on Fridays, and I want to do... Which I understand because, I mean, we are presented now with a world of options, you know, like when we were young, mm-hmm. the, the, there were no internet, there was no, right. no world of options, you exactly. know, like, and, and we didn't imagine traveling, you know, I guess when you were 10 that you, you never thought about that you would live in a foreign city or in, in Korea or in Prague or something. Same for me. And uh, so I think uh, at the same time as, as, you know, like, I think, yeah, the, the, the corporate world or, or let's say the business world is becoming more and more kind of gig-based, temporary outsourcing, all that, all these buzzwords, that means less security for normal people. But I think also normal people want, they need the thrill somehow or they need the excitement of doing a lot of different things because we're constantly bombarded with that. You need to do more. You need to do something else. Yeah. And then we have social media showing us this lavish lifestyle mm. that might be outside of the financial means. So if I just work more, mm. I can have those things. But And this is one of the things about me as an American living here. For me, I've always felt that the American lifestyle is I leave a beautiful home to go work and make money, but I work so hard that I can't even enjoy my money. Or I buy things because I work so hard, but there's so much credit card debt Mm. that I have to work more. Mm. So I'm tired, I work hard, I deserve to have more, and it's just a vicious cycle. It's like a hamster wheel in a way. Absolutely. But um, um, I think like, just now listening to you and I'm, and it it kind of makes me wonder if in some way the the school system is is lacking you know versus some of the social changes that are happening like like with this let's say less job security more gig economy and all all these kind of things if and and also like you mentioned earlier what is not being taught in school you know mm-hmm. we we don't learn relationships with people or emotional intelligence and i mean yeah some in some schools, but most schools don't teach necessarily a lot of that kind of stuff, how to handle your fi- the finances of your home and environment and recycling and all these kind of fundamentals of, of functioning in a human society. And and and, uh, and uh, it makes me wonder if, if somehow um, we are actually still kind of stuck on a curriculum in a way that is, is very much focused on um, theoretical knowledge and and missing a little bit the kind of okay so this is life this is what can happen don't don't go out of your thinking it's going to be a straight and narrow path right there are a lot of curves right there are a lot of curves and so here since we bring up changes in education i'd like to highlight some that are outside of the traditional framework of you go to a classroom and you sit there and you know lectured at let's think about things like youtube there are a lot for example jordan b peterson one of the people i really enjoy watching and listening to university lecturer that's the guy the canadian guy exactly but everybody hates him why do you like him i like him because i like listening to people who are different from me who Mm. have different perspectives and i have enough critical thinking that i can listen to many different sides and make a decision for myself welcome to the club that's the reason why we enjoy talking <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah. So, for example, I 
will listen to someone to get a general idea about their perspectives and go, I agree with this, I disagree with that. Now let me listen to somebody who is similar or different from so I can broaden my perspective and then make my own decision. So, for example, he's put his university lectures online. He's very much committed to working to provide a different model for education. I think he's got a lot of different things going on with writing and touring and lecturing. I'm not sure how far he's gotten with that. But so there's YouTube where you have top thinkers and academics making content outside of the traditional university or classroom structure. You've got people who are very successful in their field based on their life experience who want to monetize that by sharing the knowledge that they have. They've got a track record, they've got experience, and now just pay them for them, pay them for that. And then you've got things like podcasts, like what you're doing here. And then you've also got massive open online courses, top universities that say, here, you want the knowledge, get it. If you want the paper to show that you got the knowledge, then pay a nominal fee, like $50. That's nothing. So you're not in the classroom. I'm in my kitchen making dinner, listening to a Stanford lecture. And I'm getting the knowledge. And the part that I need today, I can understand and I don't have to take a test. I take that knowledge and I make my life better today. So there are variations on education. The question is, do you need a piece of paper? The knowledge yeah, is the out co- yeah, there. Yeah, but that's what the companies ask for, right? I mean, if yeah. you, you want to work in a company, then it's very rare that you get anywhere in there without... But the thing about it is, is that this is where I think... The world has changed. Because we have the technological tools, a lot of companies are startups. And they are based on people who left corporations, who were tired of that experience. They saw the world had a need, the digital tools to be able to do things. You don't need a radio station to have a broadcast anymore. You just need Mm. a laptop Mm. and a mixer, and you're good. Mm-hmm. And so I think with the technological revolution and all the tools that the Internet has made possible, there are lots of startups, there are lots of innovators and entrepreneurs, and they don't need the paper. Yeah, and the, Except and the, the money. That, yeah, that, yeah. That's the paper they're chasing. It's not the degree. But the, 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 uh, the barriers of entry are, are lower, you know, like, and, 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 and it was interesting. I was actually listening to a podcast uh, uh, with the, the guy, a guy called Mr. Beast, which has 200 million followers on YouTube and, and other social media channels. And he he makes videos, and it's it's really interesting stuff. And so he makes these kind of crazy videos, like he goes to a store and buys the whole store and then donates everything to charity. Mm-hmm. Or he goes and gives someone an island. They compete in some sport or something, and then, okay, you just won an island, and then all the profit goes to charity. And he has... He's 23 years old. He has 100 people working for him. He has four recording studios. He has a burger franchise as a ghost kitchen concept in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That, that's only available in home delivery. He's doing yeah. healthy chocolate bars. Um, okay. and, and when he was, ta- he, he, he was 11 years old when he started this YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And it, it took him eight years to become successful. But during those eight years, his mom was telling you, go to school, go to public school, go to community college, do this, do that. And he just went to his car outside when Mm -hmm. he was supposed to be in school and he was editing videos and uploading and stuff like that. But he put in, it it was not like a lucky punch. He put in a lot of work. But just listening to this guy, though, I thought about, okay, so 20 years ago, no one could have had a career like this. And it's so beautiful. And it's all his own work. 
I mean, obviously he has a great team and he didn't, you know, give any discount of that. He said, you know, without the people that I have with me, I couldn't do all that I'm doing today. But he had the skills to create and keep a team. Yeah. So again, But he wasn't ma- made for university. This guy this guy didn't need university. And exactly. And the university didn't need him probably either. Absolutely. But that that's actually an interesting thing because I didn't think about it like this, that, you know, there's a lot of this kind of informal education or n- let's say know-how, yes. knowledge that is out there. And it's yes. never been... It's never been more accessible because, you know, I'm holding my mobile phone here and right. uh, through that device I can access all of the world's history, all of the world's knowledge. Yes. But I use it to take pictures of dogs. <laughs> and beautiful dogs they yeah, are. Sweet, yeah. lovely dogs they yeah. are. And this is the whole point. Like I said, I do corporate, I do university education as well as corporate training, corporate coaching. And then I'm an entrepreneur on my own. I know my temperament. I would... Many days like to just sit with someone with experience, say, here, let me pay you. And these are my specific needs and questions. And Mm. I want the information I need. I don't want to wait for all the information. I want results now. Mm. And so the important thing is that education is whatever you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. And that you understand that with all the technological tools that we have, Number one, education must not stop when we get the degree. Mm. It's called commencement. It's the beginning for a reason. And that's part of the conversation we're having. People understand that they have to take responsibility for taking themselves to the next level. That they're only going to go as far as they're willing to take themselves. And if they wait for their professor or their manager, they're going to be stuck. And so education has to be, I need solutions. I need tools. I don't care where I get them, but I'm going to get them. That has to be with the definition of 21st century education. Mm. Because I want to create the life that I want, not what my parents tell me, not what the corporation tells me, but the vision that I have for myself and the gifts and the talents I want to give to this world. Yeah, and there have never been more tools available to us to do that than now, right? Absolutely. And and like this guy, you can create a YouTube channel and you can create content or you uh, whatever, or you can do an online restaurant and, and you can cook in a basement kitchen somewhere, the most beautiful meals in the world. You don't need to be high street anymore because you can tap into a delivery system. I mean, there are yeah. so many ways of, of, of creating something today which were not, just weren't there. But, um, but then I think, okay, so our <laughs> if, we, if we think about it this way, that... The uh, the world okay we do have those big corporates and they they are some of them very big and very dominating but there are also you know a lot of startups a lot of smaller things and a lot of smaller puzzles into this big picture somehow you know like uh, behind every technical giant there are probably like two hundred suppliers of some technology or something and uh, or two hundred thousand even I don't know but and then it makes me think like okay so. If we if we look at the traditional education system as as we say that if if education is is based on on schools and universities, uh, are they are they ready to get people out that will because most of my teachers, for example, university where they were like sixty, and they had theoretical background, they had very li- limited real life or like let's say working experience outside of the university and then um on top of that we're we're watching some of the most dramatic changes in society mm. structure techno- technology and all that 
So I'm just thinking, like, how can someone who, I don't know, went to university around the same time as me and you, uh, is now, in my case, close to 50, in your case, close to 30, um, is now um, teaching kids, but the education was is 20 years old, mm -hmm. and he or she has been there, you know? You know what I mean? Like, is there any chance that, that traditional education kind of gets out of date? Well, I think there's a big danger of that, and it's depending on the administration of the school on where they want to position themselves. You know, I've been a part of the conversation where, sorry, Joanna, you need to update your syllabus. It's We need references that are three years older, three years old max. You, where mm -hmm. are the new materials? Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that. There is the life experience from talking and doing work in corporations. And then also looking at the resources with us moving online during COVID, going to online resources, such as, for example, Perlego can't get to the library because everything's locked down. So being forced to get resources that are online and those being more likely newer resources or you're talking about another place that doesn't have much competition is maybe more established, more traditional than going, look, it's algebra. How much has changed? Mm -hmm. So if you've got something set like English grammar, mm -hmm. maybe the books and the material aren't as dynamic, whereas you've got something like technology or digital uh, media and you've got resources that are changing. So it's a question of the school, how competitive they want to be to attract and attract students attract the quality faculty that attract the students. But I guess also in some way the market <coughs> would take care of it on the long run. In, in I don't know, if, if you have school A and school B and school A is kind of out of date, doesn't hasn't followed the trends, school B is very up to date and is, is, is graduating better students, then, then eventually those who go to school B will get better jobs and those who go to school A will say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to, nobody wants to go to that school. I mean, I guess the market somehow regulates it eventually, right? That's my understanding that you take a look at the graduates, you take a look at their success, you have people who say, I want those kind of results. What type of program did they go through? I'm going to try that program so I can get similar results. Mm. With whom did they study, basically? Mm. And so I really like the saying that a university isn't known by the quality of the people that they let in, but the quality of the people that they graduate. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the some positive net effect? How much can they do that they weren't able to do before? So it's not about the admissions process, but the graduation process. Mm. You, but you mentioned, like for example, uh, or how how is that with the corporate world and, and universities? I mean, is that like? Are corporates involved somehow? I find it really fascinating, the trend that there are a lot of companies that are creating their own universities. Mm -hmm. There are several companies who are just going, the universities are not preparing people with the skills that we want. We're now getting into this. Like like some big... There are some, even here in Prague, uh -huh. there are a number of schools that were created by companies saying, we need these skill sets, we need this mentality, we need this training we're going to set up a university that trains people to do what we're missing and what we're lacking. Mm. And when I do corporate training, it's, and even when I do corporate coaching, coming across the things that I would have expected someone in the workplace to know that they just didn't get. And it just 
that knowledge, that skill set, communication skills, critical thinking skills, proactive skills just fell through the cracks because they're going from one educational system into a different corporate setting. So you're coming from, let's say, a traditional check system, but you're working for a multinational company. Mm -hmm. So it's coming from a perspective about this is our corporate culture. This is what we need. Some people from our home country have those skills, but we always need to take people to the next level in terms of professionalism. What might have gotten you in there is not enough to make you a successful manager. There's a difference between an entry-level position and a management position, and we need to upgrade those skills. Hmm. But the, you mentioned their critical thinking. And I, I, I feel like in 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 today, like in in society and discussion about uh, some big stuff, you know, that's going on in the world, I have felt that uh, we are kind of, I don't know, critical thinking doesn't even it take, takes time, you know, like if you wanna if you wanna apply critical thinking, it's not something that you can necessarily do on the spot. It means that you need to, you know, get more data, gather things, and think. On on the big picture, is this something that you think is missing in the school system somehow, or or has become secondary or something? Well, see, from the educational tradition that I come from and that I am in, knowing the needs of the corporate setting and what I'm doing in the university setting and what the people with whom I work do, the idea is that there is a belief that because I can Google and get all the information that I have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to interpret that data, not just find that data, that is what the competitive advantage, the added value that a university is supposed to bring. An instructor is supposed to say, that's a very good point. What about this? Mm -hmm. That's where that training comes in. And if all you do is say, What does the book say? Write it out verbatim. Of course, students are going to question why are they in university because they can get that information on Google. So that's what university is supposed to be doing in the 21st century, helping people to think critically, to interpret the data and use it as knowledge. If it's not being used, it's not power. Knowledge is power only if you use it. and You have to know how to use it. You can have a chainsaw, but you can hurt yourself. You have to understand how to wield the power responsibly to create something that does not hurt you or someone else, but actually builds a better world. You mentioned it when I was asking you why you don't hate Jordan Peterson. Uh, you, you you mentioned that you 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 believe in your own ability to sort out the information that that you believe in and trust and and, and all that. Because what what I feel now is that I feel that, um, and I think we talked about it here in the beginning with uh, with um, how how society, to some extent, is treating Russian citizens right now. Um, I feel like it's it reminds me of a, a soccer game of a five-year-old in some way. Wherever the ball is, all the kids are. Mm-hmm. And that is like, and then if the ball gets kicked from one place to another, every, everybody kind of jumps in, but they, they don't think on the way, okay, so maybe if I run this way, somebody can pass me the ball and I can make something out of this. So I feel with with the with this um yeah maybe maybe it's just that I'm getting old but uh it it I feel that we have kind of lost 
the ability, and which is weird because we have all these tools at our disposal to 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 get access to a lot of different views, different information. But I feel like it, almost like during COVID, it became it became bad to question mm-hmm. something. It's like you should not. And as an example, I I it's a very interesting thing. I I posted the like a picture on my one of my social media accounts and it was a picture of you know Tom and Jerry the the mouse and the cat and uh, so the mouse was uh, hitting a, a dog the mouse was called NATO the cat was called Ukraine and the dog is Russia and the and the mouse was hitting the dog in the butt with a with a stick and then when the dog woke up he threw the the stick to Ukraine the cat that mm-hmm. sit there like okay and Russia was very angry for me like Okay, it's, and I got a lot of flack on this. Like, oh, you're you're supporting Russia. You're supporting Russia. And my, my the point of the the moral of the story is actually, I feel like we invited Ukraine to a dance, and then an old bully boyfriend showed up, and we kind of ran away. And mm-hmm. in some way, and I think Ukrainian people probably feel like that a little bit because we kind of been flirting with them. You want to be the EU? We want you in the NATO, and blah blah blah. And then when shit happens, we are kind of mm, oh, we can't really get involved because you know this and that and blah blah blah. I mean, of course, we're supporting with sanction and all that. And and that this. The response to this was, "Oh, you're defending Putin, or you know, it's all all Putin's fault." And I said, "Yeah, but also there is another side to this. Whether I like Putin or not, it's not necessarily relevant to that point. I don't like him, but uh, we have also put NATO on the doorstep of 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 Russia, and and even the American president said, '99 in in Congress or somewhere, he said, you know, once we put weapons in the Baltics, then we might get into trouble.' And now." Maybe that is the trouble now. So, but I feel like in in this case, you 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 are just supposed to do like everybody else. And if even if you find something that maybe points to a different direction, then it's it's not really right. It's politically incorrect somehow. Do you get me? I believe that nothing is black and white. Mm. I believe there are shades of gray and there are nuances. And the question is, who is able to perceive those nuances? Who is comfortable with being uncomfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty? And that no one is 100% a saint and no one is 100% a sinner. And if I'm not comfortable with my own negativity, I will never be able to accept yours. And I just see it from a very human perspective. You know, it's us, we, good, them, bad in the conversation. But we are not all good and they are not all bad. And so both parties can have something right and both parties can do something wrong. And that's just humanity. But when we deny that, we deny other people's humanity. And that's what I think is fundamentally at issue, that we can make mistakes and they can do things that are right. If the lack of empathy, of compassion, for all sides, all parties involved, period. But it's much more. It's much easier to manipulate the conversation and the thought and the flow mm. when things are oversimplified. Mm. And I feel with I feel sometimes with this that with the kind of a narrative or, or and for me censorship is is 
so the, uh, whoever wants to censor information from me, no matter how uncomfortable they are, he is telling me that I'm not clever enough to to know what to trust, what not to trust, to make my own judgment. You know what I mean? And I and well, you're not going to make the judgment I want you to make. So yeah. I need to control the outcome because mm. I need to have you on my side. Mm. So I'm going to give you exactly what you need for you to be on my side for your own good. Mm. But schools have always been the fertile ground for kind of, let's say, questioning the establishment. And, you know, like if we look back in history, uh, you know, we had school riots, we had school revolutions, a lot of, lot of, let's say, democratic changes throughout the world have been kind of, they've started within the university grounds. Um, I don't know. Is that is that gone? Is that um, or what? Your vision are the visionaries not there? Do Do you know what I mean? Young people who have time, energy, disposable income, no full time jobs outside of thinking for a living, mm. no children, no mortgage. A young, energetic active person who has some knowledge about theory who wants to live in a better world and believes because they don't have the historical context can go out into the streets and protest and riot and make a noise because they have that youthful energy and perspective it needs to be tempered with wisdom insight and experience so that's the reason why we need all different perspectives but you know if we think about uh november 17 1989 mm -hmm. if we think about the 60s and civil rights movements mm -hmm. it, it's always been that youthful perspective which believes they can change the world mm -hmm. and it's necessary to have that energy but it also needs to be tempered with some wisdom not so much wisdom that it gets in the way of change mm -hmm. And I was listening uh, to a podcast uh, with a very powerful civil rights movement person. I want to say it's, uh, I can't remember, I want to say it's Nikki Giovanni. And she was just saying, you know, it's young people's era. It's their fight now. It's them going about protesting and making the world the way they want. I've done that within my generation. And now it's time for them to take the lead and move our culture forward. But do you do you think that this still lives within the university environment somehow? Because I've, I I don't know I I feel like I, f I feel like I miss this a little bit. I mi I miss the that raw energy that came from that environment to challenge the, the to challenge the the um, establishment to challenge the the politics and the policies and fight for something you know. <clears throat> I mean the the you know the the, the protest against the Vietnam War that these were you know to a large extent university driven and 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 stuff like that and and I I don't know I I feel like this is less visible at least now. Do they don't care anymore or or do they get what they wanted in the end or? Well, coming from the American perspective, I don't perceive that actually with things like gun violence in mm. the united states i see the students who had to deal with the uh, results of columbine of parkland 
being very vocal and being very active in terms of the life that they want. I think the students are acting in response to the needs of their generation and their uh, circumstances. Yeah, we yeah weren't so we don't have Vietnam War now, so there is obviously not... Uh, exactly. So the students of this generation will be speaking out against Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The students of mm-hmm. this generation are talking about Black Lives Matters. It mm-hmm. was called Black Lives Matters in this generation. Previous generations, it was the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, previous generations, we looked at uh, the gay rights movement. Mm-hmm. So students are responding to the time where through their life experience or their studies, they realize this isn't the way the world should be. This mm-hmm. isn't right. This isn't fair. You know, we call BS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's just, and you're right, actually, when I think about it, I mean, like uh, may- maybe the, it's just the topics are different right now. I and they're so. not as, they're more, maybe a little bit more local than they're global because uh, luckily until now we have, most of the wars that we have been fighting have, have, well, it's maybe this is a very ugly way to say it. Let's just be honest. We haven't cared so much about the wars that have been fought around the world as we do care about the current one, because yeah, for whatever reason that is. That has been a big comment on social media. How mm. is it possible that everybody's up in arms and it's not considered mm. unprofessional mm. or it's fine to post about this, for example, on LinkedIn, mm. whereas when it was other Syria, population, yeah. exactly, mm. that it was inappropriate, unprofessional, not lacking in objectivity. So we do need to take a look at the different factors. Like I said, one of the things that makes me aware of this is because I'm living on this continent. And I just taught Czech history you know, twice within a four-month period. I have Czech colleagues who lived through this, whose families lived through this. I have a Ukrainian, I have Ukrainian students, I have Ukrainian colleagues. So it feels much more personal than when I have not had any contact with people. It's not right, it's not fair, but once again we're talking about tribalism. We're talking about not in my backyard. This mm. is literally next door. Yeah, yeah. 800, 800 kilometers away from us. Exactly. So that's what makes it personal. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes personal, it becomes relevant. Because this is how we are as human beings. And so I think what we need to see here is not the criticism. Well, of course, it's more nuanced. It's more uh, complex. It's not just black and white. Oh, this is bad that everybody cares. This is good that, you know. It's how do we make it personal? How do we make it relevant? That's how we activate and motivate people to care mm. when we personalize it. I hope I, I I actually hope that that the outcome of this, which I hope I mean obviously hope that this ends soon and 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 uh, um, but I hope that I I I like to some extent all the social activism and corporate responsibility reaction to this conflict. But I really, really hope that we carry that with us into the next one because I think in the end, a lot of wars and a lot of conflicts are, if if the money starts hurting, then that's when people start thinking, okay, we need to find a different way to settle this. And I think, I think that uh, 
Yeah, if 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 there are other, and that that goes to the U.S. as well. I mean, if 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 the world feels that the U.S. is in interfering with domestic politics or whatever or religion or whatever it is that wherever they go i would i would like to see this kind of stand up from the kind of let's say the non-political non-military <laughs> environment because i think this puts a lot of pressure on everyone involved to try and solve things peacefully you know i remember being in high school and going to my mother and saying why are we going over there when we have so many problems here mm mm-hmm. So please do not get it twisted, the idea of the people and their political representatives. And that's mm. the conversation we keep coming back to. Don't confuse the Russian people with their government. We have so much violence and poverty. So we have so many issues here in the United States. Why are we going halfway around the world to intervene in other people's politics and issues. And when I was in high school, the question was, why are we policing the world? And it was the idea that we're a superpower, and if we don't do it, someone else will, and they will intervene, and then we'll lose our influence and our power. But when we can't even take care of our own, why are we going halfway around the world? And so this question is once again happening, Russia being the huge power that it is i've traveled through russia when i went from seoul south korea i got on the trans-siberian at khabarovsk and went all the way through siberia ulan ude over to lake baikal i was there when the russian ruble collapsed i saw the people lined up in the street Mm. i met the people in siberia i saw what it was like there and i went we were scared of these people Mm. oh no Mm. Oh, no. So once again, this whole idea of people not having basic needs, being behind the times, people suffering in a land that has great wealth. Mm -hmm. And there being a disconnect between the behavior of the government internationally, globally fighting for dominance and the basic needs of their citizens not Mm -hmm. being met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's that's. That's the unfortunate thing in this, that the, the real victims are always going to be the regular, you know, Joes and, and Joannas and, and Juvanas and Almars and everything. Absolutely. Because, you know, the politicians, they keep their job and they even get praised for creating peace. And then the military companies made a lot of money and then the construction companies yes. will make money from building all the buildings again and all that. And the only one that loses is the ones that lost their sons and fathers and brothers and their babies and their siblings and sisters and moms and whatever. Jobs, houses, everything. I mean, imagine these people who are now driving away with maybe three suitcases and and they, they don't know if they can ever go home again. It's such a weird thought, you know? Well, I actually had dinner last night with a colleague and he introduced me to this lovely Ukrainian woman and she has a company here and the last time I saw her, we were working together, having a great time and he just said she comes from Matterpol and her hometown, the house she grew up in, has been destroyed. You know, she's got her family here. But this isn't the way of life that they were accustomed to. Where do they go from here? And the statement, oh, well, at least let me go back to my home country, maybe not my hometown. Mm. And he was just really saying, yeah. can you imagine the place where you grew up being destroyed yeah. and it being gone? Yeah. But that's the reality of someone who I just saw Saturday night. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really sad.
Um, a little bit back to, to we are, we've kind of went a little bit off track here on this. Uh, uh, well, no, there's nothing off track here, but uh, kind of going back a little bit on the education and, and, uh, and that part, because, I mean, as we said in the beginning here, it has changed a lot. I mean, like the availability, the access, and, and, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of non-formal education available online, courses, speeches, people that are sharing knowledge. There's never been more stuff around. So... Um, is this the biggest change that has been, let's say, in your time? Is is this is it this availability or what? What's kind of if you would single out one or two things that are kind of the biggest changes? I would say it is all these things that call themselves universities or academies, these online learning centers, because they've identified, as any good business does, there's a hole in the market. There's an unmet need traditional university with reading, writing, arithmetic, and you memorizing what the teacher of the book said is failing a large proportion of society. How do we tap into that market to meet that unmet need? Make money for ourselves, empower the people that we uh, teach, or and then have a good business model from that. And one of the things that got me into training was recognizing that with the skill set I had developed as a lecturer, I could provide some knowledge some way of connecting real world experience with the knowledge that they need to be able to do better the next day. And then on top of it, I went into coaching because it was clear you can't go into a training situation for two days and suddenly you've mastered the skill set. No, you need some ongoing support, making the connection between what was covered with what you need to do as you go further on in the journey of applying and learning from application. And then that process of mastery and I think that's where the opportunity is. Acknowledging that just because you learned it today does not mean you mastered it. Many people think they know everything just because they have a piece of paper and then they get enough life experience that they understand, I'm just at the beginning of learning. And it's only learning through doing. And that's where the opportunity is. Giving, making the university setting a place where they do things. And the business world understands that if you have people with enough experience, they'll want to do more and how to meet that need. And they won't want to necessarily sit still and listen to a lecture and not do anything. And so it's I about think activating that's activating them. It's about engaging them. Mm. And it's about giving them the tools that knowledge is a tool to craft and create a life with, not to go in one ear and out the other and you forget about it over a beer the next day after the test. Yeah, not like I did. Don't don't be like me, kids. Whomever is listening, just don't be like me. I was really lucky. Um, um but where is it going to go? What do you think, like, if you look at the education and uh, the need for education and education institutions, you know, like, I don't know, if we if we meet here in yeah. 20 years from now? Well, I think certainly we've gone online and we, if we want to remain competitive, we need to incorporate the online learning. I actually got a kick out of using Zoom because I could have students put things in the chat. And so I could actually have a record of what they thought and I could bounce back to it. These digital tools, Google documents, Google sheets, collaborative learning. That's what we're doing in the workplace and bringing those digital tools into the classroom so that it's a hybrid formula. We have the connection, the 
all the things that happen live in person. And then we work collaboratively together, just like we do in the workplace. I have worked with organizations, 1,200 people, a business support center, and they service the entire world from Prague. Same thing with their colleagues in Budapest. So they're working in virtual teams. They've never met their team members. They're a person to whom they report are on a different continent, six time zones away. That's the world in which we live. And we need to prepare students for that. And the thing is, is prepare students for a world we can't even see coming. So giving them the critical thinking, analytical tools to be able to innovate. That for me is knowledge, mm. to be able to innovate. But is is it is there any risk that 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 if we adopt technology even more into the into the education um, and development of of people, that we lose somehow some of the um, yeah no Giovanna's phone is, is ringing huh? exactly. so who 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 was it that said in the beginning I'm on flight mode well exactly that's my 6 p.m. alarm I practice ah. intermittent fasting so my eating window ah, has just now opened now now your eating yeah. window opened yeah exactly congratulations yeah. I've done this fasting it's it's a it's a in the beginning it was really hard you know I was counting down until okay now you can eat. Uh, anyway, yeah. So with the technology, I mean, as we move more and more into technology, and I guess that COVID had a massive impact on on how to expediting. It's called expediting, you know, speeding up the process, right? Right. right absolutely. Yeah. We But we lose something with it as well because we lose a little bit of that dynamic that happens when you're in the in the room. Right, and that's one of the things. I my pianist actually is a teacher at the conservatory and his wife is a teacher I think in the elementary school and he was just saying he perceives the difference now of those people and we were talking about families before the impact of parents you know I have a friend who has let's say an eight-year-old and she's there at the computer making sure her child engages if you don't have parents that make sure that you are engaged online You can fall through the cracks. And even at the university setting, two years on Zoom, I can perceive the difference between people who were paying attention and taking responsibility for their education and the people who were just sliding by. Their level of proactive contribution, I perceive the difference. I know from other educators and parents, hey, I'm on top of my kids. Not everybody is. Mm. And not and everybody an, can be. And as an educator, I can perceive the difference in terms mm. of their level of maturity mm. and proactive ability. But what about like the social skills? Because I mean, like when I, <clears throat> school for me was uh, a, a lot, uh, you know, you you learn to behave in a group, you learn to respect, you know, there may be some hierarchies or whatever that happens there and, and you know, I learned that you you don't lay your hands on girls, you know, like and, and these kind of basic things that that obviously you know, yeah, maybe are taken for granted, but but they are learned. They they are learned group behavior in in some way, and that you don't steal someone's lunchbox, and and those who do, they are not mm-hmm. good people. You know that 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 certain values that come to us. Maybe the necessity for it at university level is less, but still, I mean, we're. We're expecting those people to go out in the world and apply their know-how and knowledge and 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 to contribute something. Is there any any risk with a, a future of more digitalized education that we we compromise this, or, we, or maybe we won't need it? Maybe the corporate world will adapt to it as well. I don't know. 
That's a really good point. While you were saying that, I was thinking of my colleague whose son actually has his uh, PhD in psychology, and he's gotten into this niche of providing social skills for the awkward, introverted males, mm, mm, how to mm. interact socially and engage. So with the rise of social media and the technology of emoticons and smiley faces, losing the ability to connect with other people uh, is something that has already become apparent. And if we take people out of the classroom, mm. certainly that will be more apparent. Mm. And so I think everything... Some hybrid model. Again, we're talking about not one thing is not all good or mm. all bad. Mm. So developing the digital skills, many are already digital natives. They are mm. used to, they were born into a world with this technology and social media and all of that. Um, certainly with gaining those skills, there are some loss of some personal skills. And the question is, if you got two people with equal skill sets, maybe they're perfectly comfortable with each other. Mm. Maybe they're not interacting the way that we're used to. Yeah, but yeah, the maybe way that they changes. Need, yeah, exactly. Maybe their uh. needs are being met. Yeah, but we don't have enough data to be able to say no, are no. they able to create successful relationships and interactions. Mm. But as we have the gen different generations together, that's where the friction comes in, the expectation. And I've had yeah. conversations with managers. Why don't they just get up and walk down the hall and have a conversation? Why am I getting this chat message as compared to just resolving yeah. it face to face or by telephone. There are people who never pick up the telephone. Mm. All they do is send text messages. Mm. And so that's where I think the real issue is being yeah. able to connect with people who aren't exactly like you. I, I remember talking about this with telephones when when I met my girlfriend uh, the first time we went out for drinks and I mean she's not super young and, and and she's in many ways old fashioned, but uh she is younger than me, ten years younger than me, but and I, then I called her the day after, and she would never forget this because she looked at her phone. Why the fuck is the guy calling me? What's wrong with him? You know, like, and 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 then, and then she answered this. Why are you calling me? I said, well, because it's a telephone. You know, that's what you do with a telephone. You know, and it 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 was a very unusual thing, and I I I can totally relate to this with what you're saying about the. I I am one of those people who, as a manager, I was like, why 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 didn't he just come to my office and talk to me about this if if this or she or you know if this was an issue? But so, but I guess that's as you say, we have this friction when we have two very different generations or three different generations kind of coexisting and 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 working together. Um, but you don't think that we'll be just be injected with a chip and we will have all the world's knowledge in our brain? Why not? You think, but do you think it's you can have the knowledge, but it's the wisdom that's missing in the world, yeah. and that's what the role that I think education is providing. Because there's knowledge plus experience equals wisdom, mm. and so that's what I think education is supposed to do. There should be someone who has more experience to provide some insight. And I actually have a friend who is working on reverse mentoring, mm. providing people who are younger with people who are older so that the young people can mentor the older people. Yeah, because, of course, they idea. have skill sets yeah. that are necessary in this current environment. Mm. So it works for both because the act of teaching or guiding someone enriches both people. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I, and I'm very I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have I've got involved with businesses and things where there is a lot of dynamic and young, younger, let's say, both younger trends, younger technology and younger people. And, and I have actually had to learn <clears throat> things from them, which I 
really, really appreciate because, you know, it makes me understand or makes me believe that I understand things better than than I did before. And that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about, oh, well, do you think they're losing something Mm. and they've got what we need? Mm. So it's just appreciating Mm. that we need to work together Mm. so that we can have the best of both worlds. Um. What are you going to eat now that you're... you're, uh, My window is open? Well, honestly speaking, whenever I'm certain place, I'm thinking what's best in the neighborhood, I'm going to get me some poutine. I'm Uh going down to the garage. They opened at 4.30. Oh, you timed timed yourself to be here at the right time. Well, I didn't even... (laughs) We were going to talk for an hour, but we always have a good time. So I know they opened at 4.30. We started at 4, so... I never tried poutine, actually. I'm in the neighborhood. How I wonder, can I leave? I, I wonder, and I, I, wonder get if, I wonder if they if they have any problem with that name now because Putin is not very popular. And Putin. I know it's, it's I know it's different. I know, <laughs> but but you you get what I mean. I mean it's. I, I mean t- when Corona came, the the guys that made that beer they suffered really badly. I mean. Because there were actually people out there who believed that by drinking this, you would get coronavirus. Yeah, you know? I saw the video. Yeah, yeah the viral video. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, and 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 what's happening else? Music and stuff like that. You you have any any you you some international festivals and stuff, right? Yes, I do. Talk about being a lifelong learner. I've just been invited to perform with a big band in Latvia, mm-hmm. and so. I love learning I sing, but uh, with that particular setup, it will be something new for me, which means I'll have to develop and enhance the skills I already have. Mm-hmm. And that whole process of being a teacher, understanding how to learn, and then applying that for myself, and then being able to relate to my students. Hey, I just had a growth goal, challenged myself, and this is what I learned about the learning process that I can now pass on to you because without this project, I wouldn't have needed to think about learning in this way. Mm. So so you seek challenges. Yes, I do. Mm. And I actually seek, seek challenges because of, once again, YouTube. I saw a TED Talk by Carol Dweck, a Stanford researcher, so again, a university lecturer, saw her speech about the fixed versus growth mindset on YouTube and it absolutely changed my life, blew Mm -hmm. my mind open. I incorporate it in my university class. And when I ask students, what do they think about it? They give me new perspectives Mm -hmm. that empower me, make me stronger, more resilient, Mm -hmm. more determined. And that takes my game to the next level, which helps me to take Give my students. Give them student. better, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a circle of... It's a virtuous cycle. Mm. So that's the reason why I consider myself, above all things, a lifelong learner. Because the singing, the being a business person, the teaching, the training, the coaching is all a way for me to learn and pass that knowledge on mm. to others and for me to learn from others. Mm. Guys, if you want to follow Giovanna, then it's GiovannaJenkins.com, right? That's right. And there is a Facebook page as well uh, and the YouTube channel. Um, most of this, but and you did a TED, TED Talk yourself, right? I did, right? yeah, that's Which right. Which is nowhere available. Because no, it's on there, yeah. It's on there. I saw the link, Okay, yeah. cool. Exactly. It's because, okay, it's nowhere available on your links, your yeah, own. Yeah, exactly. But if you just go to YouTube, if you go to TED, it's called Crafting the Chorus of Your okay. Life. and. It was really a great opportunity for me to bring it all together. TED is about an idea we're sharing. So Mm. where do I get the idea of crafting the chorus of your life? As a teacher, 
how do I make sure that students get it and they keep it? And mm. that's the knowledge that I bring in writing a song. The mm. chorus is the thing that sticks in your head long after you're gone. Mm. So what do we want to stick and remain in people's minds mm. that can empower them, that can lift them up? So catchy, catchy chorus. So yeah. catchy. It's got to be. Yeah. It's got to be. It's not just catchy, that it actually gives a message that can sustain so yeah. that something that's going around and around in your head is actually something useful, empowering, mm. uplifting, at least if I'm going to write the chorus. Mm. That sounds good. Thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. Bye. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye. Bye-bye.